Welcome back to the next shot. Today we have a special guest on from the David Ledbetter Academy, Zach Parker. Zach is an incredible golf coach that is taking some great young athletes and making them better performers on the golf course. So today we got a very good in-depth conversation on how you guys should be going about your practices to help increase your performance on the golf course. So I hope you guys enjoy. Let's get into it. Nice to catch up. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate you. No problem, buddy. No problem. Happy to see you crushing it, my man. I'm trying. I'm trying to keep up with you. Hey, that's not hard. Not hard. <laughs> How's life? How's things in uh, Florida? Things are good, man. Really good. I had, uh, you know, get to watch my daughter play soccer all the time and get to coach these kids and try and make them better. It's a, it's a dream, man. Things are good. That's fantastic. And how long have you been with uh, the Ledbetter Academy now? I started here in June. Okay. Been a pretty good change for you? It's been amazing. You know, I, I really enjoyed the consulting and working for Gravity Fit. It was awesome. But um, I really had this, I don't know, draw to pull me back into coaching full time. And there's just something special about being a part of a team that, you know, we're building something new that we want to be completely different than any other junior golf academy. Mm-hmm. And the culture's right. The team's right. And I have the freedom to do what I want, which is ultimately what we all look for, right? Oh, that's fantastic. So what kind of, what kind of things are you guys doing to differentiate, differentiate, differentiate yourself as a junior academy? golf academies for over a decade now and I think what I see what I've seen and what I know is that quality over quantity is definitely important obviously a junior golf academy is an incredible revenue stream for an academy like ours but what we're doing differently is we only let a certain number of kids in and our coach to student ratio is always one to four so when I'm coaching my players I have the fitness trainer with me on the range the sports performance coach with me on the range and I have four players. So then it becomes a, basically a one and a half to one ratio. And when you're able to do that, you're just able to create individualized programs and not just, you know, to say it's individualized, it's truly individualized. I mean, we have 18 kids in our program and no two are ever standing side by side. They're always doing something different, practicing what they need based on their statistics instead of just, following you know each other around and doing the same thing because it's convenient for the coach that's fantastic that's a really good way to go about doing it yeah it's been fun you know I think I mean you know my background and what I love is you know human performance whether that's from the the mental side or it's from the fitness side or it's from the golf side and to be able to assemble a team where we collectively coach together so that the athlete can reach their potential is awesome. It's not just one coach and an ego, and then the next thing you know, they go to the gym, and then it's that fitness trainer and their ego. It's the three of us coaching collectively this one athlete at a time, and that's when really the student is at the nucleus of the development, which is awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's taking that team effort and just taking it to a whole different level. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's so true, right? Together, everyone achieves more. But I think when when you really look at a team 
a lot of times people assemble a team to to follow the norm and our goal is to assemble a team to really defy the norms and separate ourselves so I don't know too many guys except for those that are out on tour where the sports psychologist and the fitness trainer and the coach are all standing there collectively with the athlete um, working towards a common goal. That's so cool. You do not see that, especially in the junior realm. Like you said, it's it's always kind of you spend an hour with with your coach as a golf swing. You send them over for the the training aspect, and maybe if they have time, they're doing some some mental work as well. So that's fantastic. You guys are able to tie everything together. How how fast has that change in these students kind of started? To, you start to see a big difference quite a bit quicker, I would imagine, because everybody collectively being there working as a unit instead of spreading it out over a duration of time. Are you guys starting to see a faster process than what you're used to seeing as a coach? Yeah, I mean, I think the the process of learning definitely is accelerated. I think there's so many variables when you talk about what happens when they go into trying to perform. Mm-hmm. But cer- certainly what we're seeing is the athlete's understanding of what they're trying to change increases and then their ability to actually change a movement pattern is vastly improved Um, and I think some of that is you know based on the team approach and then a lot of it's down to the fact that at the core of our training is you know my beliefs on spacing variability and challenge so we're not just sitting there having an athlete learn you know bicep curls they might be improving their vertical jump while they're improving their putting technique while they're learning how to inoculate the stress response all in this interleave circuit that's at times looks extremely chaotic. But when the athlete goes home and reflects on the day, there's definitely um, been a deeper learning than in my previous experience. That's fantastic. So what's the age group that you're typically working with? to 24 go to school in the morning and then they arrive at the academy around one o'clock and they train until 6 6 30 depending on uh sunlight now here on the east coast you know we're we get a little bit of um the shaft here when it comes to daylight so at the end of our day now they're doing some indoor training or using our performance center to continue but they train for about five hours a day And then they go home and study. We also have some of those older kids that have graduated from college that are trying to make it into the pro ranks. And they train typically from 7 a.m. till around 2 p.m. And then they go out on the golf course on. That's awesome. That's so cool. It's a it's a it's a pretty much a, a school dedicated to creating these fantastic players. That's so I wish that was something I had when I was younger, but unfortunately that sounds a little bit on the steep side for a kid from uh, the Midwest, but that's awesome, man. That's so cool. Yeah, it's a cool environment and it's fun. You know, I think as you know, it's really about being in the right environment and we're able to be selective enough to have, you know, not necessarily the best golfers out of in the world out of our 18, but we do a really good job of trying to select the right type of individual to come into this academy so that when these athletes are training side by side, 
they're pushing mm-hmm. one another, not just to be better golfers, but to be better human beings. And, you know, out of these 18 to 20 players that we have, they'll all probably play college golf. And then how many of them will make it on to the next level? You know, that's something that only time will tell. But what I, what I'm really proud of is that they all come to us as one type of individual and they all leave more mature, more respectful of the process of learning and their own development. And that's something they can transfer into mm-hmm. yeah, the business world better as well beings, as which is fantastic. That's what we're all trying to do as, as instructors and individuals in this game is just helping people become better. That's fantastic. So what got, what got you into coaching personally when you're a younger individual? No doubt. I, I grew up in the Adirondacks in upstate New York. And so I was always around sport. I was always, you know, trying, I'm a small town kid. So I thought I was great at everything. Cause there was like, <laughs> you know, five other kids my age. So of course I look good in my peer group, but what I realized is I just, I had a passion for competing. I had a passion for getting better and my I think I was perfectly parented, if I'm honest, because my parents allowed me to try as many sports as I wanted. And when I decided I wanted to play golf, it was only after a ski injury and I wasn't able to ski anymore. And when I started to play, I I became obsessed with actually learning the game because, if I'm honest, it was the first sport to sound arrogant, I guess, or just to be arrogant. Like, it was the first sport that was hard for me. And so I had to learn how I learned and that journey of learning how to play golf and learn how I learned. I knew from the moment that I graduated college that there's no better job for me than to put the sunscreen on every day and get an opportunity to help people learn this That's game awesome. that I love so much. So what kind of learner are you? What, me what so you much. figure out from that? Um, I really, I really, started to understand that (laughs) I'm a teacher's worst nightmare if I'm honest and I'm probably a coach and I'm probably a coach's favorite person because you can't just tell me and I'm going to listen and I'm going to agree I'm always going to I'm always going to challenge I'm always going to question and I'm always going to try and decipher the information into something that I can practically apply so while I got into golf I tried to figure out okay how how come I can go to one coach and feel like I'm the worst golfer ever and then go to another coach and feel like I never took away more from a lesson and I realized it came down to communication and so I would say the type of learner I am is I I mirror the energy and the environment of the person trying to coach me so if I was in a French class in high school and my French teacher, you know, always complained about my pronunciation or the way that I listened. I had a poor experience in that class. But if it was a history teacher that could relate history back to, you know, traveling or places that I'd been, he sparked this joy inside of me. And that's something that I've, I've kind of held with me for a really long time is that you don't really know how someone learns. So you have to do your job when you begin coaching them to create that connection and to create that trust is probably a cliche term, but I would say you need a bond with your athlete and 
that's what I need as a learner. That's awesome. That's what I really so who try was the and person create that every day for my athletes. Was that coach for you? Who who instilled that that confidence and that drive into you as a younger athlete? Yeah, I mean, I think the probably the greatest coach that I've ever had was my dad. I think he, my dad was an attorney and we would have some of these incredible debates, whether it was about politics as a kid, because as a kid, I had this vision <laughs> that I was going to, you know, be president of the, the world and, you know, just change, change everything. And so I had this really, I don't, I don't want to say chip on my shoulder, but I definitely felt like I always wanted to be right. And my dad being an attorney and a master debater had a great way of bringing me back down to earth when we started to debate. So I said, I would say that while he never coached me a sport, well, probably coached me every peewee sport that I played, but he, he always coached me how to coach myself. And if I would come home and I'd be pissed about the way that I played golf, you know, my dad would have said, okay, how, how can you learn from this experience? What can you do? And I'm sure it, you know, 15 or 16, I wanted to blame my coach or the golf course or the superintendent for some crappy hole locations. And he always brought it back to, you know, how do you look at yourself and how do you reflect and failures are a great thing. And I think that's, that's where I am today. Like I, I try and instill in my athletes every day. Like if I haven't made you cry or I hadn't, haven't made you want to quit the game at some point in practice, I probably haven't pushed you to the point of you actually learning how to inoculate the stress response. I love that. That's awesome. And, and that's and so true. We, we tend, especially as young athletes, to blame everybody but ourselves. And you don't truly gain the ability to accept those failures and change as a person unless you take everything as responsibility as your own. Yeah, 100%. And look, I, I'm i in an incredible place, right? I have the privilege of coaching these elite kids and I have amazing college players and I, I'm around great golfers all day, every day. So me pushing them to the point of breaking is just as important as when I have some adult come in for a retreat because they want, you know, the lead better experience. I, I don't um, mm-hmm. decide not to push a recreational golfer. I And I think the reason why when we push someone in practice, they really learn about themselves, right? If It would be so easy for me every day to put someone on a lesson tee and make them think I was the greatest coach of all times because I could let them, you know, get into a groove or I could give them the cues that allowed them to hit good golf shots. But I think if we're really trying to make players better, we need to help people get in a situation where they have to coach themselves. And I think it's a current epidemic. If I'm honest, Kurt, inside of golf instruction these days is people want the student to come back to them. So they try and give them this false sense of competency. And I'm arrogant enough to try and make my athletes think that I haven't taught them anything so two or three days later, I said it came all 
That's awesome. That kind of goes back into everything I experienced as a young athlete playing other sports. I always found that practice and the work was a thousand times harder in practice than it was in actual games. Going back to the basketball and things along those lines, you bleed, you, 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 you fight each other, you, you grind, and then the, the actual game is so much easier at that point in time. But golf, it's, it's almost so simplistic. You go out there, you beat balls, and then you go play. And then the plane's a thousand times harder. I lose you. That's, I mean, I wrote a yeah, book with my close friend Ian. No, I'm still here, man. Can you hear me? I'm here. Uh, yeah. So I, the book that I wrote, Golf Practice, is just about that, man. I wrote it with Ian Highfield and Matthew Cook and, um, Eric Seigel, the guys from Game Like Training. Mm-hmm. And our vision was that people start to actually practice golf like it's a sport. And, you know, I, I have a six-year-old daughter and it drives me crazy when I go and I sit with her teachers and they tell me, you know, we're helping her learn how to read and they read the same page over and over again. And they're like, wow, isn't this great? She's such a great reader. And I'm like, well, you haven't applied any, you know, contextual interference you haven't challenged her to actually have to learn and relearn the skill it's just pure memorization and that's what i think unfortunately a lot of people do in golf i think they learn to master a skill for a moment of time on the range (laughs) they feel great they leave and then they go oh my range game never goes to the course well yeah no no kidding like you've never actually practiced like you're going to play on the golf course like i'm sitting here in my office now and i'm watching you know the other side of the range where you know the players at champions gate um can come and warm (laughs) up before they go out and play and it's just it's the same just garbage over and over again like hit a ball rake a ball and then they're all going to go out on the first tee they're going to hit a bad one yeah. And they're going to look for yeah. that, like, oh, I need to, I'm going to drop it on the ball. I'm actually I'm, listening to a book right now that just talks about used to. It's, the, it's the learning crazy. aspect of the right brain versus crazy. the left brain. And it kind of goes into that premise where that's talking about when we try to understand something and verbalize something that we instantly go into the left brain. And when we actually perform something, it goes into the right brain. And, and it's been proven over time and in time, golf is meant to be played. It's not meant to be put into positions and all this other stuff you can't play golf thinking about a thousand different things and if you sit there beat ball after ball after ball after ball you never truly understand how to create shots and how to do what you're supposed to do as a golfer and that's just it's just it is hysterical though to sit there and watch people putt over and over again in the same spot and think they just made 15 footers in a, or 15 15 footers in a row and they're the happiest person in the world <laughs> it's like yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. It really is. And I think when, you know, the guy I wrote the book with, Ian Highfield, is an incredible sports performance coach, and he talks about, you know, synapsogenesis and the pruning process that takes place in the brain to create, you know, new movement patterns. And the reality is if I gave you a math problem that was, you know, 25 plus 25, the first time you might think for one second and go, yeah, it's 50. But if I kept asking you what's 25 plus 25, 
and you had to answer it's 50. And then I kept asking what's 25 plus 25. At some point you would get frustrated and be like, this is ridiculous. Why do you keep doing that? Yet every single golfer does that same mass problem just with a six iron on the range, right? The first one, maybe they learn. The second one, maybe they're still learning a little bit. But science has proven that at about yeah. the fourth or fifth shot, you're no longer learning. <laughs> you're just going through a cardiovascular exercise. And it's legit a waste of your time. And yet we see this over and over again, right? Like you see the guys that want to talk, you know, well, Ben Hogan dug it out of the dirt. Or look at how many thousands of balls tour players hit. But a recreational golfer maybe doesn't have that same focus or intensity that an elite performer does. So that maybe it's Ben Hogan was able to keep his focus for 10 balls or 15 balls. And we'll never be able to know. But there is no way that if someone hit <laughs> 100 balls from the same yeah. location to the same it's target. actually an interesting story. They I'm not sure anything who told me after, this, but they were talking the about Ben ball. Hogan it's and how he used to practice. Crazy. And I don't know if it's completely fabrication or, or if it's an actual story, but he used to hit three balls, take his club, throw it back in his bag, and rip down a whole cigarette, and then go back and hit three more golf balls, and then rip down a whole cigarette again. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah, and to me, that's that's the what I call spacing, right? So – adding spacing and variability into practice is the number one most important thing. So when you build an effective practice circuit, you don't necessarily have to have it look like CrossFit and have 25 drills and be moving all over the place. <laughs> Obviously me coaching junior golfers, I probably wouldn't teach them to do what Hogan did and rip a cigarette, but taking a break, right? Like we're now in 2019 and these kids have their phones all the time. And I have parents that say like, I don't want my son to have his phone. Well, the reality is maybe you should hit three balls and then check out a funny TikTok video and then go back and hit three more balls. Because when he went back the second time after watching the TikTok video, he would have to recall what he was doing before. He'd have to try and transfer the feels before watching the TikTok video to now actually hitting the 100%. shot. And that, that's the power of learning, right? It's not just doing the same thing over and over again because, I mean, that's, that's it. And that's why I think what, what I've realized is I try and incorporate the fitness component or the mental component into all my practices, one, to add spacing and variability, but two, to also add some sort of chaos and add some sort of reason for the athlete to have to go from one discipline to 100%. another discipline to that's another discipline just like in, because in, that's actually we always kind of forget in the game golf. of golf to your point we're going at a max effort with long dif long distances in between each shot so you should be able to place as much effort into that one shot and have a long period of rest go back and watch that tic-tac video snapchat some friends whatever it may be as a kid and go hit another shot and refocus, regain. That's just going to get any player better. For sure. And, I mean, the one thing that drives me absolutely crazy, if I'm honest, is when coaches talk about 
muscle memory and i just laugh because because of their ignorance right and the fact that they think that that's actually Mm -hmm. a term like there is no there's no such thing as muscle memory but there is such thing as recall right and your ability to recall and your ability to recreate those feels and i believe that if golfers started to practice that way that not only would they enjoy the game more because they're playing better they would actually start Mm -hmm. to be able to increase their learning with less time, right? Because a player's having to hit 100, 200, 300 balls, whatever it is, because they're doing that 25 plus 25 mass problem. Imagine if they only hit 50 balls, but every time it was a new math problem, they would leave with a whole new sense of understanding and awareness of hundred percent how they're able to hundred percent. I, I agree you know, with cognitive you so much on that fields. muscle memory. I find it it's hysterical. Whenever I talk to anybody about muscle memory, I'm like, I didn't know my muscles had memory. I thought my brain controlled everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just... The golf industry, man, is filled with a bunch of people, unfortunately that, you know, they they've played well and they've done well, but I, I I'm excited to see where it's going because it seems to me that golf coaches and performance coaches and fitness trainers, everyone's starting to educate themselves more on how people learn and not just on, you know, the sexy things in golf, right? Like, of course, we all need to know 3d. We all need to understand, you know, launch conditions and understand how to interpret data from a track man or a foresight but if all you did is learn about the interaction with the ground and the graphs from you know swing catalysts and if all you ever learned about was 3d data that's fine but how are you going to communicate it to an athlete and then more importantly how are you going to Mm-hmm. allow an athlete to learn yeah, it's that interesting i was actually speaking with uh actually with kevin kirk he came into town motor program. I, I was fortunate enough to have lunch with a couple of my members that have known him from back in in texas and he was we were talking and he's like yeah everything that we were seeing in the in the in the science data is just really confirming what the guys already kind of knew back then like the old school guys like the many of the torres the uh the john jacobs guys Really, all it is is the turning of the rib cage and a little bit of rotation of your forearm, and the rest of the body kind of follows that, and then you undo that on the forward swing. And I mean, yeah, it's pretty pretty much it. You grip and grip and ball position, and then you kind of go from there. It's not as complicated as I think we try to make it, but that's just my my two cents. Yeah, because making it complicated, right? Like we can all. We can all be impress each other with our vernacular at times, but to me, it's really when you sit and you watch the best coaches in the world, they do way less talking and they do way more of creating an environment that allows the athlete to learn through experience, right? Because if my daughter only knows how to read when the teacher tells her how to read, then she's not actually learning to read. She's learning to listen to the teacher. Just like if your students only know how to hit a high draw when you stand there and you walk them through their setup and you make sure their grip's right and then you remind them that they need to swing this way, then you're actually only 
disabling them because then they either have to be so affluent that they can just pay you to be with them 24 seven and whenever they want to play golf. I just right there. I love that. Kurt with so going back into you create an opportunity your skiing for them days. So when you were skiing, obviously you probably had a, a coach at, at some point in time, but as you were trying to figure things out, yeah. what kind of things would you do? Would you just go down the hill? Would you play games with yourself? What would you kind of do to figure it out? Because the youth learner, I feel like, is a way different learner than an adult learner. Yeah, I mean, I think I learned. I think I learned really well from observation, right? Like, there's a reason why I'm a coach and enjoy uh, watching people play golf, and I can coach them. So. I surrounded myself by people that could ski better than me. And so I would watch them and I would watch the lines that they took and the way that they move their body. And then I would evaluate how much harder I made it look. And then I would say I was obsessed with drills, right? Whether it was one ski or it was understanding how to edge or it was understanding what to do, but it wasn't just doing the drill in a safe environment, it was trying to do it in chaos. So maybe if I was trying to improve my turning, I would do it on one ski inside of moguls. And so now knowing what I know about challenge point, I increased the challenge point while I was learning so that I had to learn more. And ultimately in, in my sport of skiing, like if I didn't learn, I crashed and could get very hurt. Right. So there that stress inoculation was just there every day right when when i teach my daughter how to ski like we still stand at the top of the hill and go okay like you're now in control right so if at any point you're out of control there's a very good chance you can get hurt and so that's not to say by the way that i don't Mm -hmm. want my daughter to put the poles underneath her shoulders and tuck it because i really want her to rip as fast as she can like i love that i want her to feel the chatter of the skis but I also want her to get more excited when the fear response comes up, because I think too often we teach kids or at least as a kid myself, I was blessed to never be taught to be fearful. I was taught to be blessed to say, okay, mm-hmm. when that fear starts to fire inside of you, that's when you just call back on your skill set more. And so in skiing, right? The faster you go, the better you are. So I always search to get that little butterfly in my stomach or that worry that if I miss an edge, I'm in the trees and going down in the sled, right? That That's how I taught myself. I taught myself to probably be that's awesome. as close to and everything you just explained there is almost what you explained prior to and to love it in coaching. For sure. I mean, it, it laid the foundation for me, right? Like I'm, I'm a small guy, so I couldn't really play ice hockey. I grew up basically Lake Placid where they had the 1980 Olympics and the hockey team that I played on got to play in, you know, the same stadium that the Miracle on Ice took place. And there just became a harsh <laughs> reality, like 125 pound, 510 guy is just not going to be good at hockey. So I love the aspect of getting hit or hitting people in hockey, but it just wasn't smart for me. Right. And concussion wise. So going into skiing, Mm. it allowed me to have that excitement of a combat sport. But again, it put all the onus on me. I couldn't blame 
a teammate or I couldn't blame a coach for a bad call. I couldn't blame a referee. Like if I, if I did well, it was on me. If I did poorly, it was on me. And I think that's, that's what draws me to golf as well. Like whether you're the first time you break a hundred or the first time one of my players breaks 70 or, you know, when they, when they play their best round, that's awesome. That's not I because that. of me. I love That's that, because of them learning how so to as we wrap up get here, the I'm best out of themselves. Let the people know where they can find you. How can they get a hold of you if they need to get that book, all that fun stuff? Yeah, so uh, they can always reach out to me on Instagram at Zach Parker Golf. My website, ZachParkerGolf.com. They can obviously reach out to the Ledbetter Academy here at Champions Gate and come down here for an experience or just an opportunity to observe. I'm always happy to have other coaches come and shadow or um, even parents come and experience what the academy's like. Not to say that, you know, it's right for every kid, but I think them having the opportunity to see what I'm talking about in action is really great because it does look chaotic and it does bring out some interesting behaviors which is great. I hope that when people come and watch me, they think my athletes have the worst behavior ever in practice. And then when they watch them play, they look calm, relaxed, and in control of their emotions. So in order to get the book, you can go to gamebiketraining.com. I love it. I appreciate you coming on today. I know you got to get going, DM me on Instagram and I'll get them a copy. Thank you so much for the time. Such great information there, my friend. No problem, man. Yeah, well, anytime, man. I think this is what golf needs, and I'm I'm really um, proud of watching your journey, man. You you put it out there, and you're willing to, you know, step in front of the camera at times and let people know when you're having a good day or when you're having a bad day. Or this whole journey that you're on is is really awesome, and I think that's what's going to help you have af- athletes gravitate to you because you you're raw and you're real. And that comes through not only just in your social media, but I'm sure when your athletes come and stand on the lesson tee with you, they know that you're genuine. And to me, I'm grateful to, to know you and say you're inside of that circle of friends of guys that I really respect in the industry. So thank I you so much for the time and the you, opportunity. Thank you for all the kind of words. That we it's can awesome. collaborate moving forward. I'm always down to help you, my Appreciate man. Appreciate you. Thank you. You too. Talk with you soon. Mike. No problem. I hope you guys enjoyed that podcast. Make sure to go check out Zach's book. And if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure to subscribe, leave a rating on whatever platform that you guys are listening on. We appreciate you so much. Much love, and we'll talk with you soon. Let's go.